You're listening to the Midlife Mastery Podcast. My name is Peter Fritz, and this show is all about mastering your money, your time, and the best time of your life, your midlife, of course. Well, would you look at that? We're all a week older. Already another week has passed, and we're up to episode 41 of the Midlife Mastery Podcast. This week, I'm going to introduce another one of my mentors to you. This is a fellow who I've known for quite a number of years and have sought advice from directly, uh, have spent time with personally, and whose advice I've benefited from tremendously. Um, In fact, as you'll discover, as we talk about this, I really wish I'd met this guy Oh, 10 years ago, would have saved me a lot of grief, would have saved me a lot of heartache, and would have saved me a lot of money as well. The person I'm talking about is Michael Yardney. Michael is an investor. He's a number one best-selling author multiple times. And probably the thing he's best known for is he is one of the most awarded um, real estate investment advisors in Australia. Um, he currently holds a record of the number one property website in the world. And he is a person who I have to say, like pretty much all of my mentors, is unwavering in the nature of the advice he gives, in the principles that he operates on. Um, He's one of those people who you can always rely upon to bring you back to, uh, I guess, a clear way of thinking about a problem which you might think is unique, but more often than not, isn't and can be easily solved with time-honored principles. Over the years, I've had my fair share of disappointments and failures, really a litany of missteps and bad decisions, marking a dozen or so pivotal chapters in my life. But I've had some very real successes too, and many of them are thanks to my mentors. Each time I've meandered off course, generous people like Michael have come forward to coach and guide me back to my path. The first, of course, was my dad. Uh, My dad is a man with an adventurous spirit, which I love. Um, He built a very meaningful life anchored in ethics and principles and hard work, and he was and still is a tremendous role model. And others have entered and left my life at different times, each sharing valuable lessons about work, about life, about love, and about money. And Michael Yardney is definitely right up there with those mentors who've had an impact on my life. As I mentioned, he's the number one best-selling author, and uh, he's been awarded many times as the top property investment advisor in this country, in Australia. He's a man that I respect for his evidence-based advice, and I admire him for never buying into populist ideas and rather sticking with proven results. Michael's perspective on real estate investment changed my life, and it brought the clarity and purpose that I'd lacked for so many years. Seriously, if I'd been privy to his advice much earlier, I'd have certainly avoided many of the mistakes that cost me a fortune. I remember our first conversation in his Brighton office. I asked him, as I expect many would, how long it would take, based on my circumstances, based on my balance sheet, to become financially free. And to his credit, he didn't hesitate. His answer was probably 10 to 12 years. For most people, he said, the first five years tend to involve making lots of mistakes. You've made a few, so luckily you've gotten that out of the way already. (laughs) I don't know whether to feel relieved or insulted. Um, Then he went on to say the next five are spent fixing those mistakes. And that's what you have to do now. Uh, Given that you've got a couple there that need to be dealt with, you need to resolve those first. And then the last five years is where you really start doing the right things and building your cash machine. And that's when it all comes together. Now, had Michael said to me, oh, I'll get you there in the next five years, sure, I would have been excited, but I would have been skeptical too. 
And this is what I've always loved about Michael. He's never succumbed to hyperbole or the latest get-rich-quick tactic. Like Buffett, he subscribes to the notion that good investments are meant to be boring. They're not something that you just play around with. What you do is you front load the work. That means the research, property selection, financing, acquisition, and then the enhancement or redevelopment of that product, of that project. And then what you do is you sit tight until you have enough equity to go again. You don't tinker with it. You don't speculate. You don't second guess the process. Some people peddle more exciting, read high risk and speculative ideas like single industry towns, for example, mining, or they push things like options contracts and flipping, particularly apartments. Michael doesn't do that kind of stuff. Fads come and go, but principles don't change. Strategies evolve and markets do shift over time. That's that's true, often driven by things like demographics, immigration and other factors. But changes tend to occur slowly and they only require refinement of the investment process, not flip-flopping from one idea to the next. Michael's strategies draw from principles honed through decades of experience and multiple property cycles. Something that you'll often see is that somebody will come to the fore as a self-proclaimed expert on something, whether it's investing in property or shares or it's social media or it's SEO or whatever the, happen- whatever the hell it happens to be. But they don't have much of a history and they haven't seen many changes in the industry or they haven't seen many cycles um, in an industry. And this is something that really separates Michael apart, uh, Michael from the others. He has been through many property cycles. He knows his stuff and he's seen it all. And he invests the way that you would imagine old money invests, with prudence, patience, and a firm grasp on all the levers that are available. Just today, I read something by Benjamin Hardy that really stuck, uh, stuck with me. Ben recommends acting on insights immediately, particularly where key people are involved. He says that as soon as an idea related to someone you know pops up, you should reach out to them. When I think about this, I've often done this myself, and I think it explains why I've benefited so much from mentors over the years, including Michael. Every time I've called or emailed Michael with an idea or an issue, he's been there for me, sometimes immediately, but always within 24 hours. One of the most common questions Michael hears is, how many properties will I need to retire comfortably? Certainly, it's one of my questions. Well, it used to be. It certainly isn't now because I understand that's not a real question. Um, There are so many variables that um, that's not the question that you need to answer. Uh, And if you go to the blog post that goes along with this podcast episode over at midlifetribe.com slash 41, you'll see I've embedded a video there where Michael talks very succinctly about this question and the answer that people really need to hear. But anyway, I think it's probably time that we move on to the questions that I pose to Michael. And as with all the midlife mentors, I submit a selection of questions. I think it's about 15 of them. And I let them choose the ones that speak to them, the ones where they think they can contribute some value to you. So let's have a look at what uh, what Michael's chosen to answer. It seems that uh, so far everyone has elected to answer the first question, which is, do you consider yourself middle-aged and how do you feel about it? Michael's answer is, I've recently turned 65, so I guess I'm coming up to middle age, <laughs> but I know the best is yet to come. And I laugh, but you know, I think it's a fair enough statement to say that he's only coming up to middle age, because if you think about it, you know, I've said this before, we spend the first 20 years of our life scratching around, we don't know, you know, our ass from our head, we, we don't know which way is up, and we're still trying to find our way in the world. In fact, for us men, it's probably, you can add another 10 years to that. But the simple fact is that we're barely an adult. 
by the time we get to 20. So if you cut all of that out and Michael's 65, well, then he's only been around for 45 years. Now, is he going to live another 45 years? Well, based on the way medical science and you know um, health developments are advancing, maybe he will. There's a good chance that he will. I mean, he's certainly a, a happy individual. He's living a, a fruitful and productive life. He's enjoying his time here. So there's every chance that he is only just reaching midlife now. So good luck to him. Okay, second question was, do you believe that middle age, say 40 to 65, is different than it was for your parents? And if so, how? Michael's answer was, well, my parents seemed so old when they were 65 and they just didn't seem to understand anything. I wondered how they could be so out of touch. My father couldn't comprehend how he could watch one channel on TV and record another. And there were only four channels back then. And we're talking about the old VCR, the old um, VHS tapes. Like many other Australians, my parents were looking forward to their retirement so they could travel and do the things that they'd put off to give my sister and me a better life than they'd had as European, European migrants. I know I've enjoyed my life, living it to the full along the way, and recognising that if I didn't enjoy the journey, I wouldn't enjoy the destination. I think that's a great point. Our next question was, did you suffer a midlife crisis? And how did it show up for you? And what helped you to overcome it? Michael's answer is, I grew up in a poor household. And from an early age, I wanted to be rich. I was in a hurry to succeed professionally and financially. I was looking for financial security, something my parents didn't have. Looking back, I guess my quest for security was driven by my insecurity. I was in a hurry. I was driven. Driven by a need to prove myself to my father, and later in life to my father-in-law, my first father-in-law. I wanted to prove myself to the world. But as I got more money and professional success, my feeling of not being enough didn't disappear. It's fashionable today to call this imposter syndrome. This led to me sabotaging my life. I ruined my first marriage and hurt people along the way, something I very much regret. This midlife crisis meant I had to start all over again in many areas of my life. I had to prove myself again to those who'd stood by me and supported me. But this time around, I realised I had to take responsibility for my actions and not be a victim, to not blame my father for my unpleasant childhood, nor blame others. I was where I was in life because of all the things I'd chosen to do and all the things I'd chosen not to do. Once I took responsibility for my life, things turned around. My next question was, what book would you recommend to a person over 40 who wants to reinvent their life and why? Michael's answer was, to reinvent oneself, one needs to think differently. It's never too late for personal development. In fact, what turned my life around was when I heard the late Jim Rowan say, I used to say I sure hope things will change, but then I learned the only way things were going to change for me was when I change. So I started devouring some of the classic works of Jim Rowan, books, audios, and videos that have not dated with time. Another great book to read is The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. I'd also highly recommend a book authored by, that I authored with Tom Corley called Rich Habits, Poor Habits. My next question was, and this is my last question, uh, the last question that Michael answered was, what advice would you give to a midlifer who believes they're stuck on a certain path and should just accept it? Michael's answer was, I would remind them of another Jim Rowan quote, if you don't like how things are, change them, you're not a tree. All successful investors, business people and entrepreneurs have failed more often than unsuccessful people. 
They became a success at failing, and they've survived until they became lucky and thrived. What this shows me is that success is a process, and a big part of that process is persistence. You never get lucky if you quit. You get lucky when you persist. Luck is the reward for persistence. Fact is, those who try the hardest tend to be the luckiest. Or more accurately, they simply never stop trying to succeed, and their persistence eventually created good luck. So never quit on your dreams. Luck does not visit quitters. So Michael's enjoyed tremendous success, and while his advice might seem familiar to some of us, we shouldn't receive it lightly. The point is, this advice comes from somebody who has applied principles and succeeded with them. He's tried to do things the wrong way and felt the consequences. He's changed who he is, he's learned what he had to learn, and he's applied what he's learned, and now he's sharing them here. There's a tendency, I think, when we hear, I don't know, sound bites of advice that trips off the tongue easily, we tend to, I don't know, just let it roll off our back because we've heard it a thousand times. We think, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that. But the simple thing is, how often do we actually stop and think about how we can apply this directly to something that we're doing tomorrow and then try it? I think too often we just discard something out of hand because it feels too familiar. And when something is familiar, we don't believe it's necessarily revolutionary. We just think, well, yeah, I've heard that a thousand times before and it's made no difference. But the fact is we might have heard something a thousand times before, but never applied it or applied it once or twice. Didn't have great success with it. So we abandoned it. We gave up on it. Although Michael's advice sounds a little familiar to some of you, I'm sure, I think it would pay to think carefully about exactly what he's saying here and why it's worked for him. So anyway, a couple of the key takeaways for me were, if you want your life to change, then you must change. In other words, the person you are, the one that got you here, won't get you there where you want to go. Another one was setting happiness as a goal for something in the future is a fool's errand. You have to enjoy the journey because that is the real goal. You never actually arrive. Another one was luck does play a part in success, but it only manifests for those of us who persist. Luck is our reward for pushing through the necessary failures, and we do need to fail a number of times. There is no luck without failure. Something I've learned over the last 20 years, and especially in the last three, is the importance of mentor selection. Today, most of us are products of social media and the web, not metaphorically, but literally. In the old days, it was TV and maybe the local church. Now, our attention is monitored, analysed, and sold to marketers every minute. Bullshit artists with big mouths and bigger promises flood our feeds and our inboxes. And sometimes it's easy to buy into what they're selling. And this is the real danger. Taking your cues from untrusted sources automatically instead of by deliberate and decisive choice. The one thing that more than anything else will impact where you go, how high you go and how you get there is the people you surround yourself with. You cannot succeed if you surround yourself with small thinkers, doubters and armchair experts. Likewise, you'll only spin your wheels if you aspire to greatness but can't apply yourself consistently to doing the work and failing a few times. Following some luxury brand or humble braggers on Instagram won't buy you freedom might inspire you for five minutes, but then that's usually followed by anxiety and frustration that you're not doing anything to to get there yourself. Now, the answer is finding quality mentors whose trust and friendship you want to earn. That's what will get you there. 
Like I said earlier, the person who got you here won't get you there. That statement refers to you, but it applies to your peers and influencers too. So choose them wisely and then make them proud. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, if you haven't let a review, left a review yet on iTunes, I'd love it if you'd leave a rating and an honest review. And before you go, something else I want to share with you. I mentioned a while ago, I don't know if I mentioned it on this podcast or whether I mentioned it on my blog, but for some time I've been uh, contemplating the idea of putting together a course on working from home. And the reason for that is I honestly believe that working from home is the gateway drug to lots of other wonderful things in your life. Working from home allows you to well, walk your kids to school like I do, for example, um, have breakfast with your family. Um, it lets you go to your office in your pajamas or dirty trackies and smell to high heaven and not worry about showering until midday. I reckon that's a huge plus. Um, it lets you work at the times that you tend to work best, which for me is often six in the morning and other times nine o'clock at night, you know. Um, it gives you all co- kinds of um, things which a lot of us think that we need to be rich to enjoy, and you really don't. If you have the freedom to work from home in an environment that's conducive to productivity for you, and that could be at home, it could be um, in a park somewhere, and I've done that before, and you've probably known that. Um, it could be the local cafe, but whatever. I really think that working from home opens up so many opportunities for a better life. And what's more, because you're not battling peak hour traffic to and from an office somewhere, you have all these extra um, pockets of time in the morning and the evening or the afternoon to pursue something on the side, you know, a passion project of some kind. So anyway, I've been a strong advocate of working from home for many years. I've done it for probably 15 now. So I thought that for people who have a job, and I have a boss, I mean, I do freelance work as well, and I have side projects, but I have a main company that I work for. So I thought for people who have a traditional job or people who have a job which is um, more flexible than, say, a train driver, for example, they might like to know exactly how they can pitch their boss the idea of working from home, how they can remain accountable and transparent and productive and all this sort of stuff, and how they can create a life for themselves which gives them back some of the freedom that traditional work has taken away from them. So I'm putting that course together right now. Um, The framework is just about finished. I'll be scripting the video soon. Um, The workbook will come shortly after that. And what I'm looking for is probably up to a dozen people who want to be part of the beta launch of this course to go through the course material and to discuss refinements, changes, improvements, that kind of thing. Uh, If that interests you, just send me an email over at peter at midlifetribe.com and uh, we'll have a yak about it. Anyway, until next week, thanks for sticking around. I appreciate that. And here's to mastering your midlife. I'll see you next week. Bye.